Uh, Andrew, are we uh, good to go? Or do I need to wait for Rod to secure our presence in the building? Okay, let me pray for us. Lord God, um, as we come to your word this morning, please may your spirit help us to understand it, uh, to help us understand how it reveals the very source of conflict and how the gospel is the powerful balm which brings healing uh, to uh, conflicted situations. So please we pray, uh, speak to us powerfully through your word this morning. Amen. I think it's safe to say that few people enjoy conflict. Uh, some people actively run away from it. Uh, conflict is emotionally draining. Conflict weighs us down and preoccupies our minds and causes us to lose sleep at night. Uh, conflict is all around us. Uh, it's there on the international stage. Uh, if we were to remove everything related to conflict from the history books, what would be left? be a very slim volume indeed. Now, there's conflict in societies. Uh, different groups struggle against each other, divided by a class or race or religion. And there's conflict in the workplace. There's conflict in the home. Arguments and quarrels in marriage sadly lead to divorce in so many cases. Falling out with members in the wider family is also common. And tragically, there is also conflict in the church. The church is not a conflict-free zone. Uh, there's conflict between different churches, but there's also conflict between believers in the churches, and that conflict can be sometimes extremely bitter. So the question is this, what causes conflict and how can we resolve it? And that's what this passage in James chapter 4 is all about today. Uh, by way of a brief recap, in chapter 3 last week, we were introduced to two ways to live. Uh, there were two rival forms of wisdom on which we could base our lives. Uh, one was a worldly wisdom and the other was a heavenly wisdom. Uh, the worldly wisdom was rooted in pride and self-centeredness and it led to discord and division. And look again at chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. On the other hand, heavenly wisdom is rooted in humility, and it leads to peace. Again, chapter 3, verse 17 from last week. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And the challenge at the end of chapter 3 is, which wisdom will we choose? Uh, will we be peacemakers who raised a harvest of righteousness, or will the harvest of our lives be disorder and strife and conflict? And now we come to chapter 4. Uh, now James digs down even deeper to find the very root of the problem. 
and he seeks to further dissect the workings of the heart. And in so doing, he lays out for us the anatomy of a conflict. He shows us how the inner workings of the heart operate. And he reveals how each of these two wisdoms plays out in the heart. Now, as many of you know, uh, for several years now, Tracy and myself have been investing in a mediation ministry. Uh, we have been seeking to help people in conflicted relationships. And one of the teaching modules in, we use is based on this very chapter. And this teaching module is incredibly helpful. It, it, in a very clear and powerful way, it helps us understand how conflicts work and how conflicts can be resolved. Uh, it's actually, I have to give credit to it, it has been put together by Judy Dabler, who uh, we have worked with. Uh, Judy runs an amazing mediation ministry, and she goes all over the world helping people with their conflicted relationships. And I'm using this module which she's put together today. So my aim is today to introduce this module to you and show how it intersects with this passage of Scripture. So, uh, let's dig in and start to look more closely at chapter 4 and think about it together. Chapter 4 begins with the key question. And this is the question for which we are seeking an answer this morning. Verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That is the question, isn't it, of all questions. What is the cause of conflict? Because if we can identify that, then we have a basis for resolving the conflict. And what we're going to see is that basically verses 1 to 5 of this passage in chapter 4 analyze conflict and show us how it operates. And then in the verses that follow, 6 onwards, we will see what is required to resolve the conflict. So let's look a bit more closely at this conflict analysis in the first five verses. At verse 1, again, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You see, a good deal of the quarreling and the fighting that we see out there in the world, uh, in society, and in our own lives, is caused by what's going on in here in our hearts. Our desires are at war within us. Uh, fighting between us is often, although not always, an overflow of fighting within us. Now, we all have uh, desires of the heart. And here's the first image. That's not it. Well, I'd, I would like to wait for it because it, it just starts to build, so. A few technical challenges today. Brilliant, thank you. So, uh, we all have desires of the heart. It's that inner voice that says, I would like to have. And that is the way that God has made us. Uh, the desire to be loved, the desire to be known, the desire to be trusted, the desire for intimacy, the desire for justice, the desire for significance. These are all good desires. They are legitimate desires. Uh, without them, we would not be human. 
and the starting point of these desires is therefore not necessarily wrong. The starting point is neutral. The question is, where will these desires go from there? Because there is a right path and there's a wrong path leading on from these initial desires. There's the path that is walked by the self-centered spirit or the path that is walked by the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's what I will call the path of idolatry and the path of faith. And each path follows a series of mental thoughts and processes, and sometimes these may be threaded together in a split second, and we're going to slow it down, and we're going to inspect it in super slow-mo this morning. So, firstly, therefore, uh, the path of idolatry. Our next image, please. We decide how these desires are going to be met. The desires can morph into a demand and an expectation. And the demand and expectation is then directed at a thing or a person or even a God. Uh, Next image, please. Uh, I would like to have becomes I must have and you should give it to me this way. Uh, we load an expectation on something or someone to deliver something that they were never designed to deliver. Uh, We make them or it an idol, taking the place of God in our hearts. Uh, For example, I must have power and influence over others. I must be loved and respected, and this is how you will show me love and respect. I must be known. I must have approval and acceptance of others, and this is how you will show me acceptance. I must have independence and freedom on how to live as I wish. I must have a certain level of wealth and financial freedom. I must have protection and security, and this is how you will give it to me. So we make demands of others. We make demands of life. We may even make demands of God or ourselves. I must have this, and you will give it to me this way. Do you see, it's the attitude that subordinates all things to my own will. It puts me on the throne and it pushes God down to my footstool. It's that spirit that insists, it is me who knows what's best. Of course, there is no humility of heart and there is no room for no or not now or not that way. And if we don't get what we demand or expect, then the tone of the inner voice takes on a harsh tone. We slip further down the perilous path of idolatry. Uh, Next image, please. We resort to blame. You did not give me what I expected, what I hoped for, what I desired. Uh, You are at fault. Uh, The blame may be directed at a thing, at a job, or a church, or a stock portfolio. It didn't deliver what it promised. Uh, The blame might be directed at a person, at a spouse, at a parent, at a child or a friend. You didn't give me what I expected. You didn't give me what I hoped for. You didn't give me what I deserved. The blame may be directed at self. I have failed to deliver. I'm not good enough and shame and self-loathing follow. 
The blame may be directed more widely at the world for being a place of disappointment. Life shouldn't be like this. And we become cynical. The blame may even be directed at God. You should have prevented this happening to me. You should have given this to me. And we blame God for not preventing the disappointments or giving us what we demanded. And we don't remain in the state of blame for long. Our next image, please. For we quickly move on to judgment. Uh, because you did not give me what I expected, you are dot, dot, dot. You are unloving. You are dumb. You're cruel. You're selfish. You're insensitive. And having rendered judgment, we quickly then move on to sentencing. Uh, next image, please. We punish. Because you are unloving, I will punish you by not speaking to you, giving you the sh cold shoulder, by venting my anger on you, by gossiping about you, by putting you down in front of others, by being sarcastic with you. You see, this punishment is an act of pride. We take on God's role. We exalt ourselves to the place of judge and executioner. As verse 11 says in our passage in chapter 4, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. Verse 12, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you see the root of the problem? It starts with desires in our hearts. And these desires, if they go down this path, morph into expectations and demands. And those expectations and demands result in strife and conflict. And that's exactly what is laid out in the first five verses of chapter 4. Look at verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. In our self-centeredness, we look to things other than God to meet our desires. Or if we do ask God, we ask with this proud, demanding, self-centered frame of mind. Uh, verse 2 continues. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The pathway of idolatry is driven by the worship of an idol. We are elevating something to such a central place in our life that it takes God's place. We say we must have that and we worship it. At the end of the day, uh, it is the path of worldly wisdom, what we were seeing in chapter 3. And the Bible has a word for when we give our primary love to something other than Him. It's adultery. We are being spiritually unfaithful to Him. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? 
at verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He causes to live in us envies intensely? That leaves us in a scary place. God will not allow three people in the marriage. In Christ, we are loved children of God, and nothing can change that. However, a loving father disciplines wayward children. And if we choose to embrace the way of worldly wisdom, he opposes us and is against us. Verse 4, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So you see, uh, the path of idolatry, it does not serve us well. It is such a destructive way of operating uh, to ourselves, to others. It is painful, it's stressful, and it's costly, and it's dishonoring to God. So what's the solution? Uh, well, uh, the answer is not complex, and the answer is not new. And the answer is the repeated message of the Old Testament prophets. Turn from your idolatry and turn back to God. Uh, the Bible has a word for this also. It's repentance. Uh, next image, please. We move from the path of idolatry to the path of faith through a process of repentance. You see, if the path of idolatry flows from a proud, self-centered heart, the path of faith flows from a humble, God-centered heart. Uh, this is very much the language of the second half of this passage in chapter 4. You see, the path of faith is the road less traveled. Uh, the path of faith is the counterintuitive path to tread. Uh, don't you find that our hearts default to being proud and self-serving? Uh, to prevent our desires from morphing into idols is hard. And as fallen human beings, we are all prone to spiritual adultery. As Calvin said, uh, the human heart is a factory of idols. Uh, to humble ourselves is incredibly difficult. It fights against every fiber in our fallen sinful nature. And it involves a decision of the will. Yet when we take that step, God meets us and God helps us. Look at verse 6. But he, that is God, gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Also verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And not only do we humble ourselves before the Lord, but we also submit to the Lord's will and to the Lord's way. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So we turn from what we know to be wrong, and we turn back to the Lord. We repent. We confess the idols we have harbored in our hearts. And we take whatever steps are necessary to send away our adulterous partner. We purify our hearts. Uh, verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
and we mourn over our sin and our spiritual adultery. Verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Uh, This is actually the language of the Old Testament prophets. In the Old Testament, the prophets called God's people to mourn over their sin because judgment was coming. Uh, The laughter that they were to turn away from was the laughter of the fool who denies the seriousness of their sin. And so verse 9 is a plea for thoroughgoing repentance. So we humble ourselves. We turn from what we acknowledge to be wrong and we tread a new path distinguished by faith and trust in God. Now, unlike in Eastern religions, we don't try to eradicate the desire. Having desires is good. That is the way God has made us. But we manage our desires in a God-honoring way. We manage our desires with a humble heart. So, what then does the path of faith actually look like? Well, rather than asserting our will, we submit to God's will. We don't allow them to morph, our our desires to morph into an expectation and a demand. Next image, please. We say to God, this is what I desire, but I'm going to trust you to supply what I need. We trust and submit to God because we know God is loving and God is powerful. The voice of faith says, God knows what is best. He will give me what I need when I need it in His time and in His way. Faith leaves room for God or people to say no, or not yet, or not that way. And if we don't get what we desire, rather than blaming, we grieve. Next image, please. It is legitimate and necessary to say, I am sad and disappointed that I did not receive my desires. Uh, In this sense, grieving is that process whereby we come to terms with the new reality. Uh, It often involves expressions of our grief to others. Uh, Grief operates on the horizontal plane of our human-to-human sharing. We share our grief with another. Uh, Mourning is the expression of grief that is otherwise trapped inside. And so grieving well is healthy. Unlike blame, grieving operates from a humble, submissive, trusting heart. Grieving holds fast to faith and to hope and to love. And we don't just express that disappointment to others in grieving. We also express our sadness to God in lament. Next image, please. we say, I will express my sadness and disappointment to God. Whereas grieving operates on the horizontal plane, lamenting operates in the vertical. We process our sadness through expressing it to God. Of course, the Bible contains many expressions of lament. Some of the Psalms are laments, and there's even a whole Old Testament book that is a lament. Know what it is? What's it called? 
Lamentations, not rocket science, well done. Lamenting is that cry, how long, O Lord? And lamenting is not sinful or faithless. Lamenting requires faith because we're believing that God is actually there and that God hears. Lamenting is not faithless, but rather faith expressing itself in the darkness. And the final step on the path of faith is to pursue reconciliation. The next image, please. Rather than punishing and attacking, we seek to resolve strained relationships in a way that honors God. And that involves an act of the will. We decide, I will glorify God by confessing my wrongs, forgiving those who hurt me, and pursuing reconciliation with them. And it all comes from a humble heart, a heart that's committed to obeying God's word. It's a heart that's saying, I'm going to live out the gospel, even when it's tough. And it's a heart that says, relationships are important, and people are important. I'm not going to allow this situation of conflict to continue. This person is made in the image of God. They have a value and a dignity, and I'm going to respect that, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to pursue reconciliation. To do that is an act of the will, and it requires incredible love, and it requires incredible courage. So in conclusion, conflict is draining. Conflict brings misery. But the gospel, you see, provides the answer. That the way of worldly wisdom will not serve as well, but the way of heavenly wisdom anchored in Christ will. And as God's people, holy and loved, let's live out the gospel more and more in our relationships for our benefit and for God's glory. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the profound wisdom of your word. Uh, you expose the workings of our sinful fallen hearts. Uh, you give us an, an anatomy of conflict. You enables us to understand what's really going on and how it leads to these very destructive outcomes. Thank you that the gospel also leads us down a different path, a counterintuitive path to our sinful fallen selves, but a path which when empowered by you and when we humble ourselves before you, we tread and we eventually get to that point where we enjoy the fruits of being peacemakers. Please, we pray, help us to live out the gospel in our lives more deeply, uh, to bring peace where there is strife, and to bring glory to your name. Amen.